back to another Ag Watchers, uh, another international episode today. We've got uh, Matt Douglas uh, coming in all the way from Ballarat. Uh, got myself, Andrew Whitelaw, and we've got Chris Lawson all the way from sunny England, sunny London. Chris, how's it Jeez. going? Yeah, hi guys. Uh, thanks for having me back on. Yeah, it's uh, baking hot, 30 degrees here today. It's lovely and we're... Yeah, coming coming out of lockdown and uh, yeah, everyone's kind of out and about, um, which is which is really good to experience. The Englishmen are out with their handkerchiefs on their heads and trying to stay out of the heat. <laughs> it's just just this there's just this lobster look right across the whole country now. Uh, Thirty yeah, yeah. de- degrees is hot. That that'll is hot. A, that is hot for London. That'll be they'll probably have a bigger death toll than COVID. Thirty <laughs> <laughs> degrees, the Euros. And the f- just getting out of lockdown, it'll be like bloody sailors on shore leave. Mm. So. It, it's that's a very good way of describing it. It's uh, it's <clears throat> at the moment. I was I was catching the tube uh, back home the other day after the on the way back from somewhere else, but caught some people that had that had been at the Wembley Euros game, and yeah, it was a um, a real sight for sore eyes to see people getting out and about again and hearing those chants and things like that. So uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, good fun. A bit- a bit less civilized than the AFL. A, a little less, yes. Where the, the, the AFL is surprisingly posh when you experience football over here. So mm. just, just just wait until Saturday when it's Scotland versus England. But but Chris, <laughs> you this is we must have some pr- pretty good uh, material on you because this is the third time you've been on since in the last year. So so clearly you're not scared off like a lot of other people are. Uh, so, so good to have you on. And uh, so, Chris, just for for new listeners who haven't listened to the previous podcast, Chris is the head of fertilizers for CRU, which, which I'm not sure what CRU stands for. Does it stand uh, for anything? It's a very good question. Uh, long ago, it stood for Commodities Research Unit. Um, so, because it, it is still that in a way, but um, technically, where yeah, if you look at the uh, company's filings, we're just known as CRU International. But um, yeah, we, we cover fertilisers and, and metals and, and mining markets uh, around the world. We're headquartered here in London. We've got a nice little office in Sydney as well and uh, Shanghai and uh, Singapore and Beijing and Pittsburgh. But yeah, we've, we're, we're a company of about uh, 300 people worldwide. And yeah, like I said, covering all the different commodity markets uh, from a kind of pricing, supply and demand perspective. So a bit like us, Matt. All these offices around the place. We've got a yeah, Ballarat, you, 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 you've, you've got a shed in Smithsdale. I've got a shed mm. in Backus Marsh. You know we're yeah. we're, yeah. we're growing. So, but but the reason we the reason we like to talk to you, Chris, is because well, we want to talk about two things today. Uh, obviously, fertilizer, but we don't want to talk about that first because otherwise people will skip over the really interesting bits. And uh, the reason why we like to talk about you about fertilizer is that you're independent. Like CRU or or crew, the crew in it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's his best Ali G impression you can do. <laughs> it's a nice, uh, but 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 crew are uh, you're independent. You don't trade fertilizers, so you're you're an objective analyst, same as us, in that you're not trying to sell us and tell us that you know, you should go that way or you should, this is the way the fertilizer market is because we want to buy, we want to sell you fertilizer, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's why I like getting you on. Uh, and also we, we know your little brother as well, Alistair. And, and so it's good to get, good to get somebody on another, another self-Australian. Uh, yep, but the first thing I wanted to talk about was super cycles. 
you know, like Matt and I, we we sort of we're not as highfalutin as you guys in London. We're just country boys. Um, but there's a lot of talk about supercycles and how we're in a, in a new supercycle of of commodity prices, which you know we hear that a lot just now. We also hear it's the new new. You know, lumber prices have gone up by 300% and they're going to stay there forever. Blah blah blah, which I find a bit suspect. But call me a cynic. But you, but you 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 know. You wrote a piece, and well, I think you co-wrote a piece. Sorry, so, uh, on on supercycles and how they might we no, might not be in a supercycle. Can you give us a bit of a rundown on that in in layman's terms for Matt? For sure. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it's getting lots of commentary at the moment. This supercycle, there's lots of hype and and buzz about it, where we're seeing lots of commodity companies kind of talk it up, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's it's really important to well, one, define what a supercycle actually is. Everyone's got a slightly different definition of, of what it is and how long a supercycle actually lasts for. Um, before I get into that, I, on the on the lumber side, Andrew, we've, we've seen those prices starting to uh, actually collapse over the last couple of weeks. So uh, the the uh, we prepare ourselves for those headlines of timber supercycle over or something like that. But um yeah, the, the way that we actually define a super just, cycle is... Just wait till you read my articles on Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you do, I, I, I must say, uh, I do enjoy your analysis, Andrew, and some of the puns that you come out with. So I think they're some of the best that are out there. So Do you, know, do you notice that, Matt? He enjoys my analysis. He doesn't know that, he doesn't know that most of the puns have been all my hard work when I, when I tell uh, you, Andrew, change, not, the, change not, the title of this. <laughs> oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, I apologise, Matt, but yeah, the I, my personal favourite was the uh, the lentils, anything which I've seen oh. started to be uh, replicated elsewhere now as well. So that was his. That was his one. That's... That was his. One. Yeah. <laughs> that was actually it was actually an extended one because if you actually look into it, that was lentil is everything. Lentil is anything. The nips are getting bigger. Yes. Because it's about the size of nuggets, and and nipper lentils. So that was really quite a specific, double-edged. Uh, pun. Anyway, yes. And, no, and enough, quite... enough, enough about my excellence. Uh... <laughs> very, very niche. But yeah, going going back to to more serious as uh, supercycle chat. Um, so if we if we kind of if we take a step back and we define you know what we how we define a supercycle at, at CRU. Uh, it's a it's a trend that lasts for around you know over well, 20 years or over in terms of commodity pricing um, and so you know we're, we've got to really remember that you know in the current environment in the current con commodities price environment we've been through around 12 months of uh, commodities price appreciation and yes things have really taken off and you know uh, farmers and commodity producers around the world are, are kind of reaping the benefits of that but you know price appreciation appreciation over the space of 12 months we think is uh you know too quickly to, to simply say that we're in a super cycle the way that we kind of break it down is you have your longer running super cycles and then in between that you have kind of more temporary cycles uh, in which we would call business cycles so we think really where we're in the upswing of a, of a business cycle at the moment which might last for kind of uh, you know uh, one to three years or something like that so that's that's kind of a, a first important point as we we get into um, this discussion and the the reason that we think that we're not in a in a super cycle is because you know 
we're just seeing lots of short-term uh, bubbles that are that are appearing in the market, um, and we think that you know ultimately that that bubble is going to burst. Um, and again, if we we think about what actually causes super cycles, it's really significant long-term shifts in the supply and demand of a commodity industry. So the last super cycle, which was you know, from the early uh, 1990s through to the, the 2000s, that was really triggered by you know, the rapid urbanization that we saw in China. Um, and we don't really see a, a, as significant event as, as that that's, that's going to happen over the next few years. Again, there's lots of debate about what could potentially get a, a significant event uh, like that, but yeah, we, we don't, we're not convinced enough that that kind of big supply and demand tightening for an extended period is going to happen just yet. Given, um, Chris, given that most of the world at various stages now is is kind of bouncing back from the COVID recovery, and, and certainly, you know, if you look at some of the manufacturing indices, um, you see that fairly clearly that that kind of COVID-inspired collapse and then a quick rebound. Um, you know, how much of what we're seeing now, as well, you know, is because of uh, a bounce back from COVID effectively and, and, and the rollout of vaccines and things like that and the building of confidence across some economies where they're getting good traction with their rollout of the vaccine. You know, it's a bit hard to, like you say, call it a super cycle when we've had such a, I don't want to use the word unprecedented, but I'm going to unprecedented disruption to the global economy. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like it's a bit of a snapback and that that's not really a super cycle, is it? That's exactly it, Matt. You know, COVID has had a, a huge influence on commodity markets, um, and there's been some other events as well that have really, you know, snapped things in, in, into gear from a pricing perspective. But yeah, you know, 12 months of people not going out and, and spending money on, you know, beers at the pub or you know, buying food from the, the cafe, you know, means they've they've for the most part got money to spend elsewhere. So we've seen kind of consumers buying more durable goods, you know, washing machines, things like that, that filters through to commodities demand. Uh, and so that's kind of the, the start of it. Uh, and then we we see, um, you know, things like uh, industrial uh, factories, you know, starting to really ramp up their production as um, society starts to open up again. You know, that big wave of demand for different raw materials causes a lot of strain along the supply chain. Then you've also got from the supply side, you know, lots of commodity producers that had to curtail capacity last year because their demand uh, flunked so much or they didn't have the, the right labour in place. You know, it's not as easy as just turning on the key and getting back up to 100% capacity again. So there's this strain along the supply chain, along with you know, what we've all heard about in terms of uh, freights and, and the logistics side of thing as well that's causing this strain. And again, that will, we believe, iron itself out. Um, and you know will lead to some some cooling off of, of these commodity prices. So, so just reverse it back a little bit. You mentioned about like lots of mini bubbles as opposed to a super cycle. And I suppose <clears> if you, if you look at commodities over the past year, and you compare it to like that nineteen late nineties, early two thousands, you know if you call that a super cycle, at the moment you've got this sort of period over like eighteen months, probably eighteen months now, uh, where you know, you have had, a, like you say, a lot of events that have caused, you know, disruption, you know, even from the likes of, you know, COVID workers, COVID infected workers on a port, shutting down a port for a while, which then has a flow on effect temporarily, but it seems to be inflated, but, but also a bit of stimulus money going into commodities as well. So 
so I guess I'm, I'm I'm sort of the same opinion of you that I don't necessarily know that you can call it the you know the new new or 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 the super cycle, but you know we'll we'll see in a couple of in a couple of years. Yeah, well, I mean the 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 inflation story here is is quite important as well, and that's exacerbated this rally somewhat just through the you know uh, money managers uh, around the world um, see this you know looming risk of inflation and that makes them worried and that makes them flee to different types of assets to put their money into and commodities is one of those and we've seen a huge amount of you know, that money go into copper markets and you know uh, the the grains markets as well because that's where they see these money managers see those returns and again that kind of exacerbates this whole um, cycle that we're in at the moment. Which can also lead to a bit of a downward crash at some point. Precisely. If, if people realise that maybe it's not a super cycle, maybe inflation is not going to be as high. The other question I had for you was, I know you guys cover off on, we're going to talk about fertiliser in a minute, but you guys do a lot of metals and minerals and, and whatnot, which look is interesting yeah, because we don't cover that. We cover mainly ags. Um, but from from that point of view, you know, obviously that sort of metals, you know, copper and and steel, iron ore, whichever else, they're all pretty good precursors for economic growth as well, though. And so, do you see anything there as as a sort of a bit of a precursor for things? Yeah, and that's that's where a lot of the debate is, is. It's kind of surrounding at the moment is how those different metals markets, you know, play out in in the longer term. And there are a few different areas of, of debate that um, you know, we argue perhaps differs from others that are out there in in this industry. Um, you know, there's there's lots of talk now around you know decarbonising uh, the world and uh, environmental and social governance and what that means for mining supply you know from a from a demand perspective lots of people see uh, you know this kind of significant demand shift which can potentially create a super cycle coming from you know more copper demand for uh, and you know other kind of minor metals demand for electric vehicles and things like that or you know wanting to decarbonize the the energy supply chain and you know seeing things like hydrogen and green ammonia and, and kind of weird and wonderful commodities like that becoming a much bigger part of this. That's, they see those potential shifts in, you know, creating just a, a big, um, yeah, that big kind of supply and demand strain for the longer term. Now, we're not totally convinced of all, all of that yet. There's been lots of chatter about this over the last 12 months with, you know, this the stimulus money that's coming in post um, uh, post. COVID, um, but we're, we're still waiting to see really firm uh, policy development, policy commitment to, to lots of this. Uh, you know, we are seeing increased kind of uh, government money going to different programs to try and you know, investigate bringing down the cost of things like hydrogen and all these new technologies, but we're just not convinced yet that we're there to, you know, that there is going to be this big supply and demand strain. Another thing that we're we're looking at as well is um, China and and how they change their um, approach to producing commodities and how they change to decarbonising. Um, and you know there are some shifts that we're seeing in you know, the aluminium industry and in the steel industry, where China's you know almost looking to offshore some of its production of those commodities. Um, 
and you know that that could potentially again to some supply um, constraints but again that's something that's a kind of risk that we're considering at the moment it's not so much in our base case of, of prices so like i suppose like from that from our point of view like one of the things i've been looking at a lot recently is this this sort of view of china again it's all, all about china i guess at the moment mm -hmm. is uh, the corn demand and how the, mm -hmm. the corn and the grain imports have just gone through the roof now i think like the first four months of the year they had imported more grain than they did in any of the years prior to 2020 for, for the whole calendar year in that four months and i guess from my point of view i look at that and uh, like a call me a cynic um, and the same with meats they're importing large quantities of meat and that's probably a an African swine fever type of a thing, but with with the with the grains, like I just sort of look at that and say, well, surely you've had this increase in in demand, which is to me it looks more like it's supply led uh, rather than demand led. And I think demand is what really starts the super cycle. Uh, like supply is just a short term blip. It's it's the demand that has to pump up, and I'm not sure if that is the case. But I think we'll just we'll just see if that that continues. Uh, so, I guess you know the, the probably the thing that a lot of listeners are actually want to talk, listen about is uh, is fertilizer. It's uh, it's that one of those topics where you know you can talk about live export and it's fine, uh, but as soon as you start talking about you know fertilizer, that's when you start to get messages with people saying you shouldn't be saying this, you shouldn't be saying that, and and whatnot. So mostly, mostly from people that are selling fertilizer. <laughs> mostly. Uh, for about five days, you become quite popular. Mm. Uh, but when, uh, and, and so we do a bit of work with you you guys for, for, for our side venture, Thomas Elder Markets, um, where we, we have that sort of fair value model, trying to provide a bit of transparency or, or a, a more, a, another layer of transparency on, on pricing in Australia. Because one of the bugbears I've had for a long time is that it's hard to get like cold and hard data on what the price of fertilizer is in Australia. So, uh, but I was, uh, look, it's looking at the numbers, uh, urea pricing and, and DAP pricing have, have gone through the roof in recent months. And then I believe they uh, probably gone higher since we actually put out that information. So can you give us a bit of a, what's happening in urea? Cause that's probably the one that people are interested in. Yes, definitely. Well, farmers will be uh, buying urea now to put down on their their um, their crops for this year. So, yeah, we, we've seen some exceptionally strong urea demand uh, around the world um, in response to these you know, very strong agricultural commodity prices. Urea was very cheap this time last year, and that's it's appreciated a, a huge amount. Um, so that demand has been reflected in the US, in Brazil, across Europe, you know, most, and even in China as well, uh, where we've seen kind of some, some longer term declines in demand. We're seeing even China starting to pick up their urea consumption that, you know, is also goes not just into eggs, but also into their industrial sector. So that demand has been, you know, one of the, the key drivers behind these price increases. Um, but we've also had some supply issues that have been uh, scattered around the world over the last uh, six months or so. Uh, probably the, the biggest headline one there was uh, in the US when the, the big freeze happened in, I think it was February, 
um, you know, lots of uh, gas supply was cut off or kind of reverted back into the, the grid, if, if you like. Uh, and that had a bit of an impact on those supply, those supply fundamentals in the US and pulled in some more imports from there. So that's really driven things higher. There's been a lot of sentiment that, that's kind of been trickled down into the market from uh, these very strong corn prices particularly so that's that's another thing that's been driving that higher and and, and so so when, so when we look at that like over historically over like say that 20 20 year sort of time frame if, if you look mm. at you know urea dap and corn it tends to follow quite a similar trend you know mm-hmm. which one which is which is leading the dog uh, but you look at sort of corn and is that the sort of the main indicator because they seem to follow one another pretty closely and is it like when you say demand we're saying basically corn prices are so high wheat prices are so high everything everything's pretty much high canola especially yep. is it a case of well it's it's worthwhile for farmers to put it on so so they buy up and they're not going to say yeah no. well it's exactly right andrew that they're, they're not going to say no um, to these high prices when they can see the returns they get from you know, that extra bit of yield. Uh, let's not forget as well that you know farmers across the world have, perhaps not so much in Australia, but farmers across the world have benefited a lot from some of this stimulus as well. Uh, yeah. US farmers had some huge cash injections last year, so they're not really holding back at all. We haven't seen too much demand destruction from these high fertiliser prices. Um, and yeah, they're, they're seemingly... Not happy to pay up, but they are uh, paying up. Um, and yeah, there's there's when we think about our fertilizer markets, we think about nitrogen fertilizers and I guess the elasticity of demand. Yeah, there's it's not a very elastic market. Nitrogen, if you if you've got a crop and it needs nitrogen, you put it on. And we generally don't see people worrying too much about what price they're paying. On the other hand, if phosphate or, or potash is uh, too expensive, then farmers may look to mine the soil for a year or reduce their application. So there's a bit more elasticity uh, on that front. So, so at the moment, you know, what what are we talking about at the moment in in Australia? We're talking sort of as a as a cost and freight to Australia. You're probably talking above seven hundred dollars a ton now. Would be uh, after after last week's uh, rises. Probably not far off that, yes, Andrew. For for DAP, that is. Um, for yeah, sorry. You, yeah. You, yeah, for for urea, um, yeah, a little less than that. But um, yeah, we, we've certainly seen lots of price increases throughout 2021, and yes, there was uh, another surge uh, last week as well. And so, is it a super cycle? <laughs> well, it is not a super cycle because, and we we really particularly on fertilizers we don't think we're in we're in a super cycle there is lots of capacity for for producing fertilizer out there in the world and that is starting to respond there's more capacity that's being built and it's going to come online over the next few years and that's you know that's particularly the case in in nitrogen but we also see that in in uh, phosphates and potash as well so we think there's more than enough supply to um to make do um, one of the, the really, I guess, where we see the super cycle risks on the on the fertilizer side is with kind of this brave new world of, of decarbonisation and some potential new uses for for nitrogen. Um, so ammonia is the, the feedstock which produces urea, um, and we're seeing lots of uh, companies uh, across the commodity spectrum looking at you know, using ammonia as a 
marine fuel to move their commodities around the world uh, and you know, producing that from, from renewable energy. So if there is that kind of you know, demand shift from that, that is something that could potentially trigger a super cycle. But again, we, we're still in the very, very early stages. That's, that's, that's in its infancy though. Like very much so. Like using ammonia for, for, for bulk shipping or, or container freight is years away in reality though, isn't it? It is years away. Um, the, the rate in which things are developing at the moment um, are you know, pretty astonishing. The amount of uh, MOUs that are out there, the amount of uh, companies that are starting to commit to building pilot projects. Uh, you know, we're seeing new announcements every day. Uh, but in terms of actual firm commitments, you know, we're still some way off. But yeah, some of the numbers that are being talked about at the moment are pretty astronomical. So we're, we're doing lots of uh, research on that right now. So, so I guess the same as everything, it's a supply and demand. That is mm -hmm. what's, what's going to drive every, every marketplace and farmers have, have a bit of demand, but we know that, you know, the, the, uh, the cure for high prices is high prices. So we're seeing big acres going in around the world. Every, everyone's garden is going into wheat or corn. And so we may see that next year that prices towards the end of this year, towards next year we might see a bit of a softening of prices we are anticipating um you know these current <clears throat> prices to to stick around for a, for another couple of months yet um and you know still relatively elevated prices you know through most of 2021 but we do anticipate despite you know our, our expectations for grain prices to stay pretty strong uh through 2022 but we do expect fertilizer prices to start to come down mainly because of those um, supply and demand dynamics and because we have that capacity that's there that's available to, to ramp up we think that 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 market's going to loosen up and we're going to see uh, prices starting to be pulled down and most of our urea comes from the middle east saudi arabia is that mm. right and yep. most of our dap comes from china correct yes and so have there been any sort of supply disruptions there in the last year with fair uh, products coming out of China? Uh, yeah, so China is a, has the largest uh, set of nitrogen and phosphate capacity in the world, but they're also the largest consumer. So we're getting a bit more of a demand pull from China right now, which is tightening things up. Uh, we also, Australia does get some uh, nitrogen from China as well as phosphate. And one of the I guess almost ironic things that we're seeing in the market at the moment is because of the the coal restrictions from that, China to Australia. Say, because yeah. one of the previous, I think one of the first episodes that we did with you, you'd mentioned yeah. that most of that is is from the the burning of or the, the use of coal as opposed to yeah. nitrogen. The rest of the world, and Australia is we're not sending any coking coal to China. Is that correct? Or there's limits? Or there's been issues Indeed, somewhere. I, there's been issues along the, the the kind of diplomatic channels, I guess, um, which has uh, essentially ceased those uh, those coal shipments into China, and that's tightening up China's domestic coal market. That's lifting their production costs. So we do see much higher production costs in China as a result of that at the moment. Um, it's it's all a little bit indirect, but that is something that is influencing it. Nevertheless, the, where urea prices are right now, those Chinese producers are still making uh, very, very healthy margins, it's, it's fair to say. On, on the phosphates front, again, we're seeing a bit more uh, demand pull from China itself at the moment, but we're also seeing some 
a few different spot limitations to to supply with some you know environmental restrictions that are in place um there are you know some some drought concerns in uh, kind of southwestern china which is limiting electricity and things like that so we have seen a few uh small spotty um supply issues but it's not drastically changing things but it nevertheless you know there's there's we don't see huge inventories building up in China at the moment and it, it is still relatively tight there we don't have a, a massive amount of export availability right and, they, and they've got a government policy of trying to encourage more food production which would encourage more local use of of as much fertilizer as they need or optimum for fertilizer levels another quick question like on on that supply thing one of the things that I hear from a lot of farmers uh, quite often is uh, every year we get told that we're going to run out of fertilizer and every year we get told that there's you know you better get it in now because we'll be out of supplies in the next in the next week from from your point of view do you hear much about actual lack of availability in places like australia it's it it varies by the year to to be honest like like all um commodity markets when you when you're in your downwards price cycles those inventories start to build up and people start to you know build up positions you know, right now with with prices moving high we don't have a great deal of inventory in producing or you know big demand regions and that's all again that's that's got to build up for for prices to start to come down so it really does depend on the year but we don't think it's a i guess a chronic issue uh, across the industry so i should stop holding that urea and just start selling <laughs> yeah again everyone's got their own different uh different strategies and um that's what we we love to monitor and, and see how, how how people are playing the market just um with that um i guess the disruption the trade disruption to the in particular the coking coal going into china um do they have an alternative source for that top quality stuff or is it really just a, a reliance on what they rely on us for that particular coking coal product as much as we rely on them for either to take it or yeah, they got they get, other options they get coal from mongolia don't they they do yeah they, they've got lots of their own domestic supply which they're um trying to ramp up a little bit more of and yes they do have other regions in which they can buy that coal from uh i'm not going to try and recite the coal trade flows off the top of my head because i'm just going to get it wrong and get <laughs> get in trouble with our steel team so but they they have been able to source from elsewhere but it's with you know these kind of disruptions there's always a bit of uh tightening in, in suppliers those new trade routes and, and new kind of supply routes sort themselves out yeah no because that's the that's the concern i guess as well from an iron ore perspective i read something um Oh, a few weeks back uh, regarding a uh, uh, an investment they've now made into Africa and Guinea, I think it is, mm. uh, look, looking to, I think they're calling this particular mine the Pilbara Buster, because if they can get it up and running for iron ore, then there's a suggestion that they won't need to rely anywhere near as much as they currently do in China for our iron ore. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a, it's a definite, that is something that we've also been monitoring. There is a a definite uh, you know, diversification strategy that's, strategy that's going on there. I think in terms of that mine that you're referring to there, Matt, I don't think it'll uh, put too much of a dent in, in Australia's iron ore exports. Um, you'll, you'll, have all, you'll have all these 
you know, people in Guinea or, or Tanzania, wherever it is, all out buying jet skis and <laughs> fly and fly out, you know, a new, a new raft of casinos opening up. Yeah, I'm, 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 yeah, I'll, I'll refrain from commenting on that one and uh, using the term cashed up bogan, um, but that's that's what comes to mind for sure. I'm sure they're not going to be paying the same values in the, over there. Um, yeah. <laughs> Chris, uh, unlike the crew at CRU, we don't have a big budget, so we're on mm. the uh, the base model of Zoom. So we're, we are about to run out of time in the next in the next four minutes. Do you have anything final to add to the add to the conversation on what farmers should be thinking about? Um, I yeah, I mean, I would be expecting to to be paying yeah much higher prices for your fertilizer over the next twelve months than what you perhaps have over the last couple of years. So be uh, preparing for that in in your budgets um, you know uh, I guess and and with these uh, kind of supply and demand issues that we're experiencing at the moment you know getting things locked in early is is probably a fairly smart move and a, a number of people uh, messaged me last year to, to to say that thanks for the podcast we've we have locked in in early so um, so, yeah, so, we, we so maybe maybe some of those people who listen to the podcast could you know, have a whip round and, and give us forty dollars a year for the premium version of Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm just saying because we never got those texts. But anyway, yes. yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I, I would be yeah, kind of that's that's our view on um, yeah, fertilizer pricing. We do think things are going to to come back down. There's going to be some relief, but. We we would ex we do expect these elevated prices to be uh, to continue for you know the next kind of six to twelve months. And importantly, you know, you're how how long have you been in London for? Four years. I've been here for nine years now. Nine years, geez, oh. Yeah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> the first the, the Euros. Which team? Obviously, Australia aren't in the Euros, even though they'd like to be, even though they can get into Eurovision. That's not, that's Eurovision, not Euros. Yeah. <laughs> But for the Euro European Cup, what is the uh, what team? Uh, well, I've I've drawn I've drawn um, Turkey and Croatia in in a sweep at work, but I have some Polish blood in me, so Poland mm. are my my Euros team to follow. Couldn't tell you more than one player in their team, but um, <laughs> they're they're my out and out um you know they're, they're who I'm following the most closely. Yeah, because I'm just looking for another team to follow in the next group when Scotland. Yes. <laughs> I'm not sure if Poland's going to be the one, but yeah, any anyone but England is essentially the the approach oh, that Jesus. most of us take. Spoken like a Scotsman there. <laughs> so we're about to run out of time. Um, thanks for listening, Chris. Again, thanks for for taking the time out in your. I don't even know what time it is over there. Nine o'clock. Morning. Yeah, I know it's morning. Ten o'clock. So nice and uh, nice and getting the morning sun at the moment. Um, yeah, that's all right. yeah. Not, oh, I thought it was earlier. Oh well, uh, that's yeah. not too bad. Uh, but thanks for thanks for coming along again. Thanks for your insights. Uh, for anyone listening, you can you can look up crugroup.com. Uh, Correct. To, yes, you'll be able to find it on Google anyway. Uh, if you want to get some more detailed insights on on the fair market. Uh, but yeah, again, like ultra appreciate the the independence and and the candor. Uh, if you like this podcast, share it with your friends and family, et cetera, et cetera. Leave a like, leave, leave a review. Uh, but I hope you enjoyed it. That's good. Thanks, Chris. See you when you got nothing on. Thanks, guys. Ciao for now. Mm -hmm.